Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Hello everyone and welcome to the best damn camp. Oh, uh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A Royal Universe read-along and analysis podcast sets us out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and I'm very sorry but welcome to the show. <laughs> Today I have a very special guest in the form of Katie from the damn snack bar podcast hello yes it's even better because we have the same damn joke in our podcast name so i feel like we're like proper sibling podcast just from that alone absolutely there is not an original thought between any of us we're all just using the same (laughs) jokes yeah i feel that's just the best in fandom as a whole it's just it's just one joke consistently told in various different ways oh i understand and it will never not be funny is the thing oh yeah um, but tell the audience who you are, where you're from, and all that good stuff. Okay, well, so um, I'm Katie. I run a, obviously, Percy Jackson podcast with my <laughs> sister, Jo, who is unfortunately not here today because we are discussing a book she has not read, The Audacity <laughs> of This Girl, honestly. Um, so yeah, we, in our podcast, we've sort of just finished getting through the first series, and we're getting on to Kane Chronicles next, um, but we're just oh. running through some, like, bonus stuff. I know, fun um mm. yeah so it's that's pretty much all i have to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is fair enough um for everyone listening of course if you want to check out um another percy jackson podcast because even though we're all percy jackson podcasts we all have some very interesting and very different thoughts and feelings about the books so uh if you want to check out the damn snack bar all of that is linked in the episode show notes so check them out yay but- yeah <laughs> but uh today we are continuing our timeline journey with the king chronicles the red pyramid chapter 13 i face the killer turkey and chapter 14 a french guy almost kills us and these chapters are in carter's pov sadly as yeah <laughs> i love carter i feel like i'm the only one who enjoys carter's pov <laughs> i swear everyone if- says like oh if he was the only one narrating, I feel like I'd feel better about it. But because we do get Sadie, I'm like, oh, just just keep the whole book in her perspective. She's like so much funnier. <laughs> that is fair from the comedy side of things. He's a bit more stoic. Maybe that's kind of why I like him, because he's a bit more chill. Maybe it's because Sadie's <laughs> English. Maybe it's because she's English that I'm not much of a fan. <laughs> like, give me I'm something like, no, no, no. else from my day to day. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the fact that, like, her, because obviously Rick is American, her being English is so inaccurate with yeah. everything about her existence. Oh, I, I can like, imagine. I cannot enjoy this. I cannot enjoy. We don't say bloke. Fuck off. 
<laughs> but um, as always, we've got our points to focus on. So today we've got magic, family, and generally what we thought of it. But to begin, here is the synopsis from Katie. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. So let me just <laughs> scroll for a second. <laughs> I did ramble a bit. So here we go. Okay. So... Basically, in chapter 13, we get to see Carter, Sadie, and is it Zia or Zaya? I've never actually had to say it out loud before. I would say Zia, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> now that you've said it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Zia. Zia. Just so okay. <laughs> so we get to see Carter, Sadie, and Zia crash land in the Cairo airport. And then Zia takes them on an adventure down to the first gnome, which is hidden all down in the ruins under the city. Some weird spirit bar guide tells Carter that he's a good king, and Zia is officially freaked out by it. And then do you want me to go into chapter 14 as well? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, so then in Chapter 14, they walk through the gnome past all the really cool vendors in the Hall of Ages, which actually sounds really bomb and also really scary um, because you could literally get trapped in the memories. Like, I, that's, that's a bit much for me. Um, <laughs> and then we get to meet uh, Chief Lecter Iskander, who will most definitely turn you into an insect if you cross him. Iskander requests that the Canes tell him their story, seeing as they're a little old to be recruits, and so therefore it's odd that they're only showing up now. And then angry French man, who is also here, gets mad at Zia when she gives away classified information about the magicians and the first gnomes business in general. And then we end on a really solid cliffhanger of the Canes having to undergo a series of tests to prove that they're not consorting with the gods, as that's a big no-no, during which if they fail, they die. Did somebody say good game? <laughs> I just noticed that you put that. It's kind of, wow. The King Chronicles invented Squid Game. For <laughs> <laughs> less billionaires being dicks and more adult magicians being dicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, adults being assholes is the premise of the King Chronicles. It really is. Yeah. Because actually all the adults so far have been assholes, except for maybe one. <laughs> one adult so far. And maybe Iskandar from like the few little things we've gotten from them. So two. Two proper like human adults. They're the only ones so far who've been kind of cool, and that's Amos and Iskandar. And we really only ever get two in like any Rick series. Yeah. Like that's kind of his limit. Yeah. Which is fair, because as an adult, I can confirm we suck. We do suck. But I think also it's, like, so much easier to write the meanie characters than it is to write the good guys. Like, there's just so much more to go into, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But kind of just diving into it with uh, the first chapter and just a few discussions relating to that, here Mm -hmm. is uh, a more more of an overview for chapter 13 uh, which is I face the killer turkey chapter 13's overview is as follows tumbling out of the sandy porto the trio end up in Cairo airport but can't stay long because (laughs) ACAP Zia takes them to Heli... Oh, God. Heliopolis. Heliopolis? Would you say that's right? I think with my accent, I'd say Heliopolis, but that's probably wrong. Actually, that that sounds right, because I'm also very dyslexic, so I found out that everything I say is wrong. So Heliopolis under the the airport and leads them to the entrance of the first gnome of the House of Life. 
They must each face a trial, and Zio is it Zio? <laughs> Zia. Oh my god. Zia looks expectantly at Sadie to do to do so, which angers Carter, who storms ahead. Taking on the guards with insane reflexes he's never had, a bar, a human soul spirit, appears to him and speaks. Zia and Sadie arrive because apparently the trials do not occur. Don't, don't happen for Sadie. I realised just now that they didn't actually have a trial for Sadie. It's just Carter. Was it because he was walking in front, though? Maybe. I don't know. They just It sounds like they're meant to like have an individual trial, but then that's kind of forgotten. <laughs> so I'm slightly confused. Maybe she just like hid behind him enough that it was like, I'm not here. <laughs> yeah. Or literally what they do in Squid Game. <laughs> Yeah, behind your opponent so you don't get shot um but it seems that's exactly what sadie and zia may have done here it's quite possible <laughs> yeah um so they arrive at his side both stunned by what the bar said because i'm assuming the bar said something in ancient egyptian yeah it never actually said what well, language he spoke it i mean he did have he did say a line in ancient egyptian and so Carter didn't know what he said but Sadie obviously understood. Yeah. I can't remember what the line was. Because yeah, I can't I pronounce can't it and I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's fair enough. I could look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that's what they said. But I'm not going to try and say it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, they're both stunned by what the bar said. Because um, it doesn't make sense. They must have been mistaken. Because uh, the bar said, go forth, good king. And Carter ain't no king. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> traveling further into the place they come across a school of young magicians learning to scry because young minds are better at it they're low on initiates because of a mysterious reason dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> going in further they reach a door to the hall of ages where they are to meet the chief lector be careful though he's prone for turning people into insects <laughs> That Which I love that that's like his go-to thing. Literally, He's that like, would be the most amazing thing to be known for. That's like having yeah. a catchphrase. <laughs> it's so good. Imagine if he did have a catchphrase along with it. It's like, be gone, beetle. <laughs> Sayonara, grasshopper. <laughs> I he love just it. says different ways of saying goodbye with the animal he's, well, the insect he's going to turn them into. That would be amazing. Moving on to the feedback for this chapter and spe- specifically. Um, so is there anything that, that um, in chapter 13 that kind of stood out to you, Katie, for uh, just something that just grabbed your attention? Oh, all the stuff about the, so obviously the stuff that's supposed to be the foreshadowing of like, oh my goodness, why don't we have as many kids here? No, these aren't the only ones for this gnome. They're for the entire world. We literally have like 10 children and that's it. Those are the only new ones. And I know that it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be like intriguing and oh my god well why is that but obviously that's what stood out because <laughs> it's like oh but yeah that's pretty much the only bit i also just like don't understand scrying in general like are they seeing an image like reflected in the oil or does the oil mm-hmm. like form to like make something and it like maybe like acts out as like little oil figures i'm just trying to think of like in terms of they've already got like the wax figures and stuff that they use so like maybe the oil does something similar i don't know i usually try to imagine these things in like a how would it look on screen kind of way and i just think that the 
making figures out of oil would be more entertaining to watch than just like a mirage. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, considering this, that the Red Pyramid and the King Chronicles as a whole are getting Netflix film adaptions, we will be able to see this on screen one day. Mm. Um, so I'm intrigued as to how they'll do that. But yeah, when they mentioned, and I've, I've put the same thing in my notes as well, like when they mentioned scries, I was really intrigued by it because they don't actually say what it is that they do. No. Which they really I don't. feel like is set up. It's either set up for something that's going to happen later because even though I've read these books before, I don't remember what happens. <laughs> so it's like I'm rereading them for the first time. Like yeah. I remember some things, but not all the things. I've um, only read them once. I read, I made an effort to read um, all the Kane Chronicles and all the Magnus Chase books at like the very beginning of this year because I hadn't read them and I have forgotten mm. like everything. <laughs> even though I really loved both. And I was like, these are better than Curious Olympus and Charles of Apollo. Like they're better, but I don't remember anything that happened. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with the King Chronicles. King Chronicles, I think, even in my opinion, is better than Percy Jackson. Like, I would put it above. Even though I don't remember as much, what I've been reading so far has been entertaining me more than some of the other books have even entertained me. So yeah. I've been enjoying it a lot more. I um, definitely had a point of, like, when I was reading this first one for the first time, I literally walked out of my room and was like, I... I'm having a crisis because I think it is better than Percy Jackson and I don't know if I can handle that realization because you know the nostalgia and whatever but I think I think I do still hold a big candle to the first Percy series I think Mm. it's just because of the nostalgia I think it's number one for me I think that's the only reason though in terms of storytelling this is so much better (laughs) yeah storytelling like this was I feel this was Rick's like peak skill like he took took everything he learned from Percy Jackson and everything that he tried to apply in Heroes of Olympus that did not really succeed. 100%. And it worked all incredibly well in King Chronicles. Like, even the representation in King yeah. Chronicles is so much better than what he attempted in Heroes of Olympus. Yeah. Um, And things like the magic system and stuff like that, which I, I've talked about so much. I'm just like, oh my god, the magic system. The magic system in this series. Holy fucking shit. Um, I think it's, like, good to talk about it, though, because, like, when you think about how he's writing this book... If we just say the same time as Lost Hero, you know, just seeing mm. how he put so much more effort into the Egyptian stuff than he did into the Greek and Roman, because he was like, well, I've already talked about it, so I don't need to go into. And that's why there's so many friggin' plot holes in that whole mm. hero series, and I <laughs> it makes me so angry. But like, yeah. this trilogy is just everything's so like the parallels are so well thought out, like they are for the first Percy series. Everything has like a meaning, whereas like all of heroes is just like throwaway information that it's never addressed again and it's just so frustrating to read yeah it is and i think that's what i enjoy about this which is why like when we got to this moment of like the mentioning of the scry and kind of not too much information about it specifically about like what it does or what it means or anything like that this is the first moment where we haven't got like information straight away yeah which i'm kind of liking because i've liked that we've gotten like information straight away instead of like that usual within that like even when they did it in percy jackson of like oh something is getting in the way so we cannot tell you this information because trouble is afoot i'm like but we need this information you fuck what <laughs> like tell us what we need to know um and king Chronicles has predominantly done that where like you get the information you need so there's no sort of blanking out on it whilst also learning a lot of stuff like there's no moment where i feel like carter and sadie even if they don't fully understand what's going on, but there's there's no moment where they're not being told, like, information is being held back from them. Yeah. Um, but the scry is, at this point at least, I can't remember if they get an explanation about it in the next one, but it's 
something that is not fully being told to us at this point which I quite like because it seems to either be be being held back for us to learn later or it's something for us to build up intrigue about it's like oh what is scrying like is it going to be important or is it just sort of a throwaway sort of situation because yeah my assumption about the scries and I wrote this down as well is that I think it's like a premonition kind of thing like they read the oil and kind of get sort of like visions of things to come sort of like an oracle sort of situation but a bit more direct okay. I think but I don't remember if that's correct. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't remember much being said about, like, any if they go into it anymore. I know that it's used a bit more um, in the yeah. next couple books. Don't ask me about who. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> but I know that, like, <laughs> someone tries it, but I can't remember what the outcome of that is or whether they even talk about it anymore than this is what hap- this is what's happening. Yeah. And that's what my, my thing as well. I'm just like, I know that there is some use of it but I can't remember what it was or, or why. <laughs> yeah. I just know that it's interesting. So I'm kind of, um, it's something that I've picked up on, even if it's something that our characters didn't pick up. Because like Carter and Sadie didn't seem to really pick up on the scry part of it. The main thing they picked up on was like the lack of new initiates and new magicians. Like there are no new magicians, basically. Yeah. The numbers were like, like, like 10 kids. I think it was like 10 kids or something like that in total for the whole world. Yeah. Which just is just like nothing. Yeah, that's like insanely little. Um, which brings about this question of like, why are there so little? You know, what's the situation with that? Um, and we get a few possible hints towards that of like in, in the next chapter specifically, like this adamant hatred of the Egyptian gods and all these sort of things. And you wonder if maybe the fact that they put so much of their energy towards hating the gods, maybe why the power of magicians is fading because there needs to be a balance of some sort yeah absolutely um, but uh it's very interesting and we get like a bit more of magic as well like i know you aren't a fan of carter but carter <laughs> in this chapter was pretty damn good like his skills were insane like even if he was confused about where they were coming from i really really liked that we got to see him have more of a shine because like obviously we've been seeing sadie do more magic at the moment and now we're yeah. finally seeing Carter doing something himself and sort of very combat based which I, I really quite like I like that someone who is like a soft boy like Carter is someone who's very calm and doesn't seem to really roll. like violence yeah. he is he's a cinnamon roll it is, <laughs> no it's good it's, yeah. I think it's also good that they have such like he and Sadie literally have such different abilities that they've like mm. come into after learning about this whole world and like I just think it's really and I think quite I think it's funny that they're kind of the opposite of what as you said you know of what their nature is so Sadie's like super outgoing and whatever and her ability is like the more intellectual stuff where you'd think that would be Carter's or like Carter's you know the more soft cinnamon roll one and he's got (laughs) his cool action motions which you would think would be more Sadie and I like that it sort of ties them together a bit more especially because mm. they have that relationship through the whole series that's like we don't really fit together we grew up separately so like we don't know how to mesh and I yeah I like that it sort of brings them together that way that they both have a half of that yeah I hadn't even thought about it like that but it is sort of like bringing in that sort of yin and yang sort of situation because they're such opposites but then their powers are sort of reflections of each other 
yeah in a sense which is which is quite lovely especially considering like you mentioned like they've not really had the chance to kind of grow up around each other and don't even really know each other very well um that's that's quite nice actually i literally did not pick up on that remotely that their powers are the opposites like they are like sadie's powers are carter's personality carter's powers are sadie's personality like that's crazy how did i not notice that i think it's good too though because i think it helps them sort of understand each other a little bit more because you know how they have that like Carter wants to stay home and wants to go to school and wants to, you know, put down roots and Sadie's jealous of the you had a life of adventure kind of thing. And so maybe, you know, all of her stuff is sort of all of her powers and her abilities now are sort of mimicking the life that she has instead of the life that she wanted. And Carter's sort of similar. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point as well. And I do, I do find that really interesting about like, both both of them having sort of resentments of each other as well about the different lives, di- different lives they've led, um, and both at the same time not fully understanding like the lives that oh, they yeah. both live. Grass is always greener and all that. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. And I like that also. This is the whole thing. Like this is the first time really we've gotten from Carter's perspective. Um, his frustrations at Sadie being angry at him for the life that he led. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about this more in the family section, but um, I will say there is something about Rick's writing, and obviously with the fact that Carter is like a dark-skinned African, like African-American mixed-race kid, Rick did, I think in, from a limited perspective, like a, my pale-ass self. Yeah. Um, I, think <laughs> <he did> a, <laughs> I think he did a pretty good job from like what i've heard from other people of portraying the frustrations that carter has of you know having to live in a sense a more difficult life in comparison to sadie who is what would be described as more her mother's side and more lighter skinned yeah and kind of not having to face as many struggles as carter has like the fact that his dad tells him you know you've got to always look your best you've always got to be playing a sort of part and all that sort of stuff yeah rick sort of put in um built on the how you look perspective he brought in that your personality and your attitude have to match how well you look you know you have to play that role in that way you can't have it warring you can't have these two identities warring against each other when you're in public like you have to have this facade and you have to make it not a facade I just like that that had to be addressed that way Mm. because it's something that you and I would not think about day to day at all and it's like such a real thing that people just have to get used to. And it's just like so stupid that the world is that way. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate that Rick brought it up. But like, I would like to, I'd be intrigued to see um, what um, like the African-American community and like black British community think about uh, this particular, the, the characterization. But I feel like there's like, I know from like the white side, I don't know if discussions of colorism were happening when this book came out in like 2010, 2009 or something like that. Um, but it feels like there is a sort of like discussion of colorism kind of happening here of like Carter's kind of frustrations of like Sadie having in a sense an easier life in comparison. Like what you were saying of like having to, him having to basically change his entire personality to be yeah. more palpable that's not the word but I'm gonna go with it (laughs) but it's just Um, shown so well and he doesn't know how to dress Mm. for himself once his dad is no longer there as a role model and like you see it in later books he starts to like create his own style based on his own interests but he doesn't know how to 
step off to that point. He doesn't know how to get there. And I think it's just really interesting that he's had, you know, this built into him from day one and he doesn't know how to separate it now that he's not with his dad anymore and not with that. I don't want to say, I don't want to say not with that pressure of that ideal, but do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Sort of like the guidance, I guess, as well. Like he's been told all his life he has to be this certain way and follow like his dad's lead with these sort of things. And now he doesn't have that guiding person, like this sort of person to teach him these sort of things. And now he's kind of doesn't really know what to do from there. Um, So yeah, I can see that. I just think it's a really interesting discussion. And like, uh, again, I would be intrigued to find out more from like the black community their thoughts and how well this was done but just from what i've read i feel like it's it's seemingly done well enough that the motivations and the frustrations from carter and sadie mainly carter in relation to like like race and things like that um seem to be pretty pretty well done so i'm kind of i'm 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 glad that rick was able to seemingly do it well in one series even if he really fucked up in the other one yeah but you can see where his priorities were <laughs> yeah which I find kind of funny that like, what, Rick? Why were you trying to write multiple books at once? Like, King says Castle's you, friend. Oh my God, says you. Okay, true. But I wasn't technically writing them at the same time. I would write one, one would go to betas, and then I would write the other. <laughs> <laughs> so technically, I'm not writing them at the same time. Technically, they're separated. I love this um, justification from you. <laughs> shut up <laughs> um but i can't remember what i was gonna say you now because i've been called out um, <laughs> it's running at the same time and how can they be so different yeah so different specifically that as well like and lengthwise as well like so lost hero is so much longer unnecessarily yeah um and yeah i don't know it's just it's really interesting because like the king chronicles is the one that came out first i think in like the may or something and then lost hero was like after the summer so it's literally only a couple of months between their releases but then you just look just comparing the two of them king chronicles is so much more superior to the lost hero yeah i just i don't really understand how that works i guess maybe the length of it because the king chronicles is so much shorter um, so maybe it was just able but it's to be like, looked over better, maybe. I reckon I King Chronicles is the right length for middle grade. Like, Heroes of Olympus is just so out of nowhere with how yeah. long it is and how much they're trying to fit into that one timeline. Like, you cannot convince me that is one year worth of adventures and quests. It doesn't work in my brain. That's too much that happened. And, like, yeah, I am – so I'm fully on board with the idea that he had ghostwriters for the whole hero series because it just makes no sense to me that he was able to write all of those massive books at the same time as Kane Chronicles. And then in the later books, he started writing Magnus at the same time as well. And I was like, I can't, just can't. <clears throat> How do you have the no. time? And just like with all the inconsistencies and everything, I was like, there is no way that you didn't have somebody else contributing to this and he just hasn't addressed it at all. And I'm like, yeah. oh. Yeah, I've got to say, more and more that I hear that and I look through the books and it's like, yeah, I'm believing the theory more and more. Um, and I don't know how to feel about that possibility. But yeah, I would say the more I think about Heroes of Olympus, the more I'm like, I don't get why that is the, the one of like people's favourite series. And I know it's going to be nostalgia, 
But like when you look at the King Chronicles, that was coming out around the same time. Mm-hmm. How much more consistent it was. How much better the characterizations it was. Uh, were. Yeah. How much better the dual POVs were as well. Because not only was there not too many POVs. Being oh my used, god. <laughs> there was a better balance between them as well. And wouldn't I mean, you think if you were coming to any of his books for the first time that you would go for to try him out that you would go for the ones that are smaller and the ones that are there are less of them you would think you'd go for those first instead of going the heroes i don't know yeah yeah i would think so i think the whole thing is and i think a few people have talked about on like tiktok and stuff who are like bigger like kane chronicles sort of followers is that kane chronicles did not seem to be as advertised as heroes of olympus so it's like like, you have to go searching for it yeah, I didn't know it was released at the same time. I had actually no idea that it was being released around the same time as Heroes Neither. of Olympus. Um, like, literally only, like, four or five months between their publication dates. Mm. That was, like, how long it was between them, which is kind of insane. Because, um, like, that's not good, really, in, in any case, especially when they're similar genres. as well. I know it's different mythologies, but they're similar genres, same writer, yeah. kind of similarly in the same universe of, like, mythology. It's not like if he was like completely different series. I say it was like Daughter of the Deep and Heroes of Olympus. Completely different sort of stories. Like Daughter of the Deep is nowhere related to like the Camp Half-Blood Chronicles and Extended Universe. Like it's nowhere yeah. close to it. So if it being something like that, it would make more sense because there's different advertising that you can do for that. But I don't know. It just seems that they didn't really put as much effort into the King Chronicles. Because I swear the King Chronicles is the one that's always forgotten. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody knows Magnus Chase, if we're talking, you know, books that aren't within the Greek kind of, yeah, you know, mythology. But yeah, I kind of, maybe it's just because things like promoting on social media or like that kind of marketing wasn't such a big thing mm. when Kane was coming out. Whereas for Heroes, it's following on from Percy. So people know the same characters and know the same mythology. Daughter of the Deep yeah. too. I don't think that it would have done well at all if it had been released right after Percy. I don't think it would have be. I don't think Rick would have a career if that was the book that he released straight after Last Olympian. Yeah, because it was very different to his sort of style. And I think that's I haven't read it yet either. Well. Yeah, I've heard it's quite good, but it's very different, um, sort of universe wise to everything else. Which yeah. I guess is similar to the King Chronicles. Like the King Chronicles is very different. But in really good ways, which is why it's disappointing that people don't like it. Because I know that, like, in the case of Magnus Chase, his last name is Chase. He's related to Annabeth Chase. He's still connected to, like, the Camp Half-Blood Chronicles in a sense, really. Yeah. It's a different mythology. Whereas the Kane Chronicles, while there are hints to, like, Percy Jackson and stuff of, like, oh, yeah, we don't go to Manhattan because they got their own shit to deal with. I love that um, line so much. <laughs> <laughs> um so they've got like hints and stuff to that, but it's very much its own series. Yeah, which I think I would have thought people would like more because it means you don't have to read twenty books <laughs> to get an entire series worth yeah. of stories. And did people not have an ancient Egyptian mythology phase as children, like people had a Greek mythology phase? Like you think so? Because like I swear they're always taught together in like history classes. Like both of them are taught together, like one after another, basically. Yeah. But in saying that, I do remember nothing from ancient his- ancient Egyptian history than I do from Greek. I was an absolute yeah. Greek nerd. Yeah, I I would say that too, actually. Because but that 
that may also be that they didn't teach that much. I'm just thinking now, I'm like, I'm I think I actually learned more about Greek and Roman than I did Egyptian. And I'm going to blame that on racism because the Greeks and Romans are more white. Mm-hmm. And then Egyptian mythology is obviously in the continent of Africa. So they ain't yes. white people as much as Hollywood would like us to believe <laughs> that they were white people. No, they weren't. It's so like, true. That's so sucky too, though. Even Britain wants us to believe that they were white. I'm like, mate, no, they weren't. No, they weren't. Stop it. <laughs> um, which is uh, hilarious. I'll have to send you, actually, there's a video from this guy called Akala. And actually, for everyone listening, I'm going to put it in the episode show notes. There is a lecture from this guy, Akala, about sort of like, in a sense, the whitewashing of black history. Yeah. Um, and he talks about the whitewashing of Egyptian history because they didn't want like this brilliant, you know, huge, like, oh God, kingdom and like, you know, like this power structure. White people didn't want to believe that black people could do that. So there's a lot of whitewashing. So, you know, like the nose cuts, cutoffs of um, the statues and stuff like that they have. Oh yeah. Europeans basically did that to try and remove all features of, you know, black people from the statues to make people not think it was black people who you know were able to do these incredible things it's a really interesting lecture i'll i'll send the link to you as well because it's really fascinating it's long but it's fascinating see Um, that's the kind of stuff that i would go on an absolute deep dive about because i love everything that goes hey look at this shit thing that these british people did because it affected literally the entire world and now we hate them and i can say that because i come from a british convict oh yeah this is something that i need to ask you what are you guys taught in history because all i was ever taught in history was everything britain did so like we're not taught anything that we do we literally all we learn about britain is the tudors World War One and World War Two. We don't even learn about Britain's involvement in slavery. We learn about America's involvement in slavery. Wow. The only that thing we're told about our own slavery situations is that we're told we abolished slavery first. And I'm like, the fuck we didn't. <laughs> no, we didn't. Like, that was sorry, you, guys, you guys are reading the same book here or <laughs> Yeah, it's like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Emily, at the time, I didn't know that because I, I was like, you know, I'm being taught this. Surely it's correct. Learnt later. Nope. Lies. Lies everywhere. Oh, wait. Um, Actually, now that I think about it, I didn't really learn anything about, like, Aboriginal or, like, Native Australian history until I went to university. Like, all of my prior primary and, like, high schooling mm-hmm. history, we learned about what Britain did. And so, basically... We learnt Australia's history from the moment the British set down in Australia in the 1700s with the convicts, but we don't know anything from before then, unless you like go on like a big, um, like I learned it at uni, but I didn't learn it in primary school. Yeah. So I guess maybe, oh yeah, that's like, I wonder if Americans learn American history or if they learn everywhere except their own country. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah. I know it's it's very interesting like when I look back on it and like I was talking to people about it like I literally it did not occur to me how weird it was like at the time that yeah. I wasn't learning about my own country's history yeah and the reason especially is, when Britain has so much to give yeah yeah <laughs> we have a lot of history to learn but the whole thing is most of our history 
is cruelty. So that's why they don't want to talk about it. Most of your history is just ruining everyone else's day. Yeah, it is. Literally, I've got to say, I've said to someone, and um, I know to everyone is now, I know we're going on a tangent, but it's fine, get over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I literally, I was saying to someone, so I didn't learn about the separation of um, like India and Pakistan, and there was a specific term for it, but I can't remember it now. Um, and uh, partition, that's what it is, partition, where it was actually the separation of India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise that, it was Britain that decided where India and Pakistan was going to be split. Like we created the line. Like the border. Yeah. So we deliberately separated being like, Hey, the Hindus are going to be on this side. The Muslims are going to be in this side, but I didn't learn about any of this or like the atrocities that followed because of what we did until I watched a doctor who episode recently, (laughs) which was the demons of Punjab, um, which was the 13th doctor. So Jodie Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Mm-hmm. that's how i learned about it and i was like wait is that a real thing like obviously they're not going to be showing like fake history so i looked it up and i was like what in the actual fuck how did i not know about this like i didn't know like anything about that like we weren't taught anything about that in school um same as like apartheid in like south africa and other places in africa as well yeah didn't realize that was us either so i've been learning so much more about that and i'm like it's no wonder why our government is really digging in their feet so there's been so many petitions of like teaching black history and teaching britain's colonial history it's so important schools yeah um and it's gone to government four separate times with four different petitions and not a single one of them have passed and it's just like why you know yeah and their reasoning their reasoning every time is oh it is part of the curriculum it's just not mandatory i'm like but we're asking for it to be made mandatory because your whole thing is saying, oh, but, you know, it could be taught. But the whole thing is, the could means it never will be. Yeah. Like, as long as you've got someone who can make a choice between that and something else, they're going to choose the something else. Yeah, exactly. Because in in the whole mind, like, no one wants to talk about these things, which is why, like, it took me being 23, 24, finding out so many things that, like, we were involved with as a country like even in even in the king chronicles as well kind of going back to the topic um, <laughs> you didn't want a 20 minute tangent oh yeah yeah <laughs> um but in even in the context of the king chronicles like there are a lot of things like i think it's even in chapter 13 and a little bit of chapter 14 that there are references to like what britain did to egypt as well like oh yeah like our own colonization our own like destruction of what happened in egypt and all these sort of things like our involvement with it and like the stealing of artifacts and the destruction of booms and all these sort of stuff yeah. and i was like yeah no we i i'm glad it's being confronted here although not in the best way admittedly Rick, probably be best to point out like how shitty it was <laughs> to a yeah. bigger extent but like you know it's at least it's discussed but like the fact that it is discussed in the books as well it's just i know it like, just even seeing these things in the king chronicles made me want to go learn more about like what britain's involvement was with you know taking everything of a, yeah, yeah what, with everything but even like just go in to the british the museum Pacific, you'll well. find out everything <laughs> yeah god i wish that was true they lie so much in those museums oh, it's actually insane it pisses me off to no end <sighs> 
um britain sucks and this is a i hate my country podcast um we really should pay reparations i have no doubt about that uh we should remove our colonies which are still in existence but it's absolutely appalling that we do still have colonies um and we should help pay the countries that we destroyed because we didn't realize that they were doing better than us um moving on yeah, we should really. <laughs> this episode is going to be a bitch for you to edit, and I am so sorry. It <laughs> no, it's right. So, going into chapter 14, a French guy almost kills us. And this is the overview for chapter 14. Entering the Hall of Ages, Carter and Sadie witness the memories of the history of Egypt told through magical visions. It depicts the history from its start to its end, always growing in the hall to match the present. When they reach the end of the hall, they see a pharaoh's throne, which is empty, except for a crook and, and other things that I've forgotten to write down. Is it a flail? And an ancient... <laughs> I think so, yeah. Yeah, crook and flail. That may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and an ancient old man sat at the steps beside it. This man is the chief lector Iskander, who has been around since the Alexandria period. Which was a very, 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 very long time ago. It's a long time. It was a very long time. (laughs) We also meet again the angry Frenchman Desjardins, who is not happy to see the Canes again and is seemingly ready to kill them because apparently (laughs) that's a thing. Yeah. After the. (laughs) Because obviously the children just ruined everything, so you just have to go after the children. Yeah, I find it kind of funny that, especially we've got a British um, character in the form of Sadie, that the guy that they hate is French, considering that the British <laughs> and the French hate each other. <laughs> and so one of their enemies is a French man. <laughs> it is very good. I always love the, we're children and our greatest enemy is someone who is decades older than us. I love that trope because I, I think it comes from my love of Avatar. And it's just like, why are these children facing off against this person who is much older than them that they should know better? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it does make me laugh. (laughs) After the siblings tell their story, the elders don't believe them, especially angry Frenchman. Gods can't be coming back. (laughs) And if they are, the Canes are consorting with them, which means death. To avoid this, they must pass rigorous tests. And sadly, there is no pass and fail. There's pass or die. Right. Amazing. <laughs> I do love that that is their thing. It's like, uh, um, what was it? That, I can't even remember how it ends, but Sadie's basically like, so what do we have to do to pass? Or what was it? Sounds fun. And if we fail the test, um, there is, this is not the sort of test you fail from dear Sadie Kane. You pass or you die. <laughs> Just so dramatic. <laughs> Literally so dramatic. Oh my god. I love Zia. Zia is literally the most dramatic person ever, and I love every second of it. I'm just like, imagine if it was in the movie, if they had like cuts to camera like they do on The Office, and it's just Sadie like looking at the camera after this line going like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> Why am I here? What is, what is this? What is the point of this? <laughs> Literally, what is the point of this? <laughs> uh, now I kind of want like that sort of vibe to it because I feel like it would be like that additional hilarity, especially considering obviously it's voice messages yeah. as well that they're doing. 
that it's more like wall like what's it fourth wall breaking yes. because they're doing like the voice messaging thing of like <laughs> sort of much and this is the moment they knew they fucked up <laughs> sort of situation <laughs> i could see that in the movie and it'd be so entertaining oh my god um, it's like the fourth wall break in empress new groove yes oh my god it needs the vibe of empress new groove yes it does rick i i know i've criticized <laughs> Rick, I know I've criticised you a lot, um, and like I love your books and all that, but um, I know you kind of have a screenwriter already. But if you, if you would like someone to come in and do like a third look over or anything like that, I am unemployed, so <laughs> so I'm your I best option. <laughs> so I'm your best option because I've got the time, and um, please. <laughs> I love this. This is giving me absolutely everything. <laughs> this is very much that like I've consistently done this, but I've done a call out to Rick being like, hey, Rick, so I know you're looking for a screenwriter. <laughs> you, you need to it? make like a compilation of like every time that you've sent out a verbal prayer, and, like a verbal like plea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I need to now. But either way, this part is going onto, onto the Instagram page of the audience. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe yes, not it. <laughs> i love it do it <laughs> i shall um <laughs> so going into this specific chapter so we're learning actually a bit more about um the situation that's going on currently um in, in basically like the havoc is being caused um in the magician's world in that not only are the five gods that Junius released in the world, there are way more gods in the world than that, and they have no idea how they've gotten out, which is also yes. why we had the Swapping Lady just before as well. But there are apparently many others, um, which is, considering that there's like this hatred of them, it's kind of like, well, who fucked up badly enough to release more gods? Yeah. Like, how do they I get was, out? If yeah, when I was like rereading this chapter, I was... A little bit shocked because I don't know why I had it in my head as only like the big bad gods were the ones who were locked away and all like the minor ones who were just in charge of like so if we take like Saket she was just in charge of scorpions so like I was like oh she was just hanging out somewhere you know biding her time kind of still in the realm of us <laughs> rather than down yeah. in the in the duat I thought it was like in my head I just had it as no only like the big bad ones who were in charge like your Olympian level ones mm. they were the ones who were locked away but then my brain was like why would that be the case you idiot of course it's everybody it's all or nothing you know and it turns out that that all or nothing failed because everyone's out seemingly yeah um which is really interesting like i i, I was the same like i didn't think everyone had been locked away so them saying that i was kind of like well, well also just because there's so many of them there is a lot there is a lot of gods I feel like um, there's more Egyptian gods than they are than there are like Greek. Yeah, and also the Egyptian gods there's like mixtures as well. So for like when like the Greeks and Romans kind of came in as well, they had more gods added that were like a mixture of Egyptian, Roman, Egyptian, Greek, and stuff like that. So yeah. more gods were added later on, which is even more terrifying to think that there were more gods <laughs> than just Um But what was like an additional interesting fact that's noted by Zia here is that. 
um, the fact that she couldn't defeat Zaket may be based in the weakening of Matt. Which yeah. at this point, we've not heard this word before. So this is no, a new drop of like magic-based information. Um, now, in the moment it was said, I was like, oh, I remember this word. I don't know why. I don't know where. But I know this word is important. It's always a word and, I can't pronounce. And I'm like, I this was important. I remember. Yeah. The only reason why I saw it is because I'm pretty sure, and, and recognise it, is because like, I'm pretty sure I remember a joke that happens later where Sadie, probably Sadie, because it's usually Sadie, <laughs> was like, but who's this guy, Matt? <laughs> and and I think, me thinking it's hilarious. I don't remember if that actually happens. But if it doesn't, I'm going to be really disappointed now that I've managed to come up with a joke that is very Sadie. Well, that doesn't exist now. in the series. Yeah, it's just canon now that Sadie's first thought hearing about the weakening of Matt was like, wow, I hope Matt's okay. Has he been taken to a hospital? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry, just to get by, I keep going off topic now. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts for uh, chapter 14? Um, I was like really, really distracted by the Hall of Ages just because of like the color scheme of how it's going through doesn't bleed in my head the way that like the spectrum is satisfying. This color scheme was not satisfying for me. So it's very, that was very distracting first of all. But I also just have like not a problem with the way that it, can pull you in and mesmerize you but I'm just like terrified of that because it's like the red riding hood don't step off the path kind of thing or you will literally die and it's kind of the same thing here because Z is like Sadie you have to stay on the carpet because otherwise you'll get too distracted and you'll just stay here and you will forget to blink and then your eyes will get dry and then you'll die and that's it just distracted me for the entire rest of the chapter because I was like I would I my ADHD I would just be stuck there going but the pretty pictures I have to watch (laughs) Kind of like Sadie, because wasn't it Sadie nearly stepped off the path towards one of them, like a hand yeah. reached for stuff. Um, yeah, the whole of, this is the whole thing. The descriptions in Kane Chronicles are so good because, like, you can picture everything just so easily. Yeah, it's just amazing. Um, so I can that is the thing about this. It's it would look so beautiful, like all of the figures and stuff that Carter talks about, like. And they have, you know, the different animal heads on them and stuff, but also like the building of the pyramids and that kind of thing. Like you could do such a cool animation thing with this in the movie that I am just like, like they make it, he makes it vague enough when he's describing it in the series enough that you can sort of imagine it your own way. And I, Mm. I really like it a lot. No, I completely agree. Um, And you've made an, an interesting point after that to do with Cleopatra. So go ahead with that. Oh yeah, I so I just got so they mentioned that um Cleopatra was like kind of the fall of ancient Egypt itself and I just as I was reading was going well they so if it was the fall of ancient Egypt I don't know if Rick used that as like a parallel as he started the red pyramid with Cleopatra's needle and so I don't know if he was being like oh it ended here but it's also starting here and that's where we're pushing off from or I didn't know if it was like a I'm using Cleopatra because everybody knows who she is or at least recognizes the name because there is a bit of that that goes on um but yeah I kind of like the idea that it maybe it's this is where it ended and now that we have important players back in the game this is where we're starting off from again I don't know I just kind of like that 
Yeah, no, it completely made sense. The moment you, I saw what you'd written down, I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Like that whole thing, because like obviously we're going back into like the magicians and magic of ancient Egypt, and if Cleopatra symbolised the end of it, them going through Cleopatra's needle and just every like the fact that the adventure begins with them passing by Cleopatra's needle. Yeah. It's very much like that. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, even Julius and Ruby trying to use it beforehand when Ruby died, Mm. you know, I just think that it's an interesting pickup point. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, yeah, from the Cain, from Ruby and Julius's use of it, that is kind of where the plot started because that led to the separation of the siblings who were too powerful to be near Mm -hmm. each other in general and all these sort of things. So, yeah, the Cleopatra's need, and obviously that's what brought Bass back as well. Um, Cleopatra's needle. So Cleopatra was the end of ancient Egypt, but Cleopatra's needle restarted the 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 entering of the world again. Yeah. Um, for the Canes, I like that. I think that's really cool. I just think really it's nice. also like good because if you think about her being the fall of ancient Egypt, you can you kind of see that's where the magicians had a different role compared to when she was still pharaoh and was still queen um and Mm. then i mean i don't know how much you spoil the rest of the series while you're talking about it but when you think about the role of the magicians throughout the rest of the series it's i think it's interesting that she then is the one who starts that with the needle Mm. no i completely agree i really like that i I didn't like fully pick up on that but when you rent it down it's like oh yeah but yeah just kind of going into that magic thing of it to kind of go into the main like discussion points of this um the fact that like obviously you mentioned to do with the parallels with cleopatra and stuff like that um there is there is a lot more magic related things that are being discussed here of just the involvement of the gods and the magicians and their way of life that is just fascinating i keep talking about just how much i'm loving the magic system here but i'm loving that it's sort of getting like the political magic sort of situation occurring here of just like the fact that you know they're struggling with recruits the fact that there is such hatred for the gods even though technically they are the magicians for ancient egypt and ancient egypt is very much tied to their gods yeah Um, like the whole thing of like walking through the market and just seeing all these different people going about their lives underground in this old egyptian place that has basically been completely sealed off from yeah egypt above um, and they have their own society, they have their own rules, they have their own requirements, they have tests to make sure that people are worthy of being part of that group. Um, it, it's political and cult-like, which is yeah. kind of an interesting balance. <laughs> what do they do with the people who don't, don't like, you know, they go through the testing. I would kind of like to think that they don't kill people who don't pass, but like... If they don't, where do those people go? Are they yeah. the ones in Antarctica? You, well, you didn't pass, so go be cold. Yeah, that would be interesting because, like, it seems like the test is specifically for whether or not you are connected to the gods. Oh, um, true. Yeah, but then also there is the test for them to even get into the first node. Yeah, like they're they're walking over a chasm. Do they just get kicked off and fall to their deaths <laughs> if they don't pass? Like, there's a lot of questions about that. And it definitely, like, occasionally I'm kind of like, it's no wonder your recruit 
intake is quite low if there's the possibility that people can die at that first test to even get in yeah definitely (laughs) i don't think you can afford to be picky guys like no especially if you're only ending up with you know 10 recruits a year but also these recruits are children so like how did they hear about it were they homeless already like did they not Mm. have parents do they have parents who are already in the system like what's i want to know what the process is there because we know what the process yeah. is for later when, you know, Carter and Sadie do their thing to find some, but I don't know. Yeah, and it's interesting. And I don't know if we ever actually find the answer to that. But admittedly, we only get the answer sometimes for, like, the, the Sater thing, like, for even for Percy Jackson. Like, I don't fully understand how Satyrs find demigods, because, like, if a Satyr can find a demigod, even one that is, like, on a low level then monsters will be able to find them. But then they bring in this whole thing of like, oh, monsters don't go after the ones from like low-level gods. I'm like, but if they can't find them or don't care about them, then how are satyrs finding them? Like, mm. I guess kind of get, going back to the, the the magic side of things. So I know you mentioned um, artifacts, um, but spe- specifically, so do you want to talk about that a bit more? Oh my God. Okay. So this is basically just because I watched Night at the Museum 2 last night. And so... <laughs> In, I mean, in the start of chapter 13, Zia mentions that artifacts can't be used, you know, more than twice in however long time it is. I think she says 12 hours for that one that they used. And I just yeah. was thinking in Night at the Museum 2, they have the tablet. And so Carmen Ra is trying to open the gate to the underworld and he's using the tablet, whatever. And I was just thinking that whole plot of that movie wouldn't work if they followed this structure of you can't use an artifact 12 hours after it's been used the first time because the whole plot of night museum you know they use the artifact to make everyone come to life and so 12 hours Mm. from them from then would be sunrise so they wouldn't have a chance during the night to use it to open the gate and so i was like there wouldn't be a plot to this movie and it was literally just a tangent in my brain based on that one line because i was like i'm just my brain is taken up with hank azaria in this film because i love it so much and so i was just thinking about that stuff like that it literally has nothing to do with game chronicles i just had to say it okay that is kind of interesting though and i i do like that um that they do have a limit and this is the whole thing and this is something that ties into magic systems is that and kind of is what makes game chronicles less of a soft magic system and leaning more towards like a hard magic system and just to explain soft magic systems are basically kind of anything can happen like there's no real rules to it yeah so it's sort of percy jackson there's no real limit to what and everything just do. feels like a deus ex machina yeah um although usually it can work because there's like because there's an ex- explanation of it of being like yeah things just kind of just happen because that's just how the magic here works yeah it's explained enough that it doesn't feel too much like a do sense machina but it's sort of like avatar the last ever would be considered a soft magic system sort of thing like mm-hmm. things just work because they do <laughs> whereas <laughs> because um, magic because magic um whereas king chronicles seemingly leans more towards hard magic which is something that has a bit more rules and kind of concrete sort of law to what can be done and the fact that like these artifacts are things for transportation and teleportation there is a level there's like only certain times that you can use these artifacts so like zia mentions like in the previous chapters like oh it's got to be at like the height of the full moon it's got to be the height of sun and all these sort of things like specific moments in planetary movement or a moment of time a god was born or something like that it's gonna be tied to a powerful moment yeah 
and then the fact that it can't be used twice in 12 hours in this case and it can't be used too often and these sort of stuff for for need of recharging you'll overwork know, it just, you'll break it yeah, like yeah. Rosetta Stone. <laughs> yeah exactly i just really like that because it leads to this additional level of tension for for the battle sequences like what we had in the previous chapter of the segment of like oh my god is this actually going to open in time before they're killed by a scorpion um and in this case it's more like okay how are they going to get but like they've managed to travel from america to cairo egypt and now they're kind of stuck there because they firstly they don't know how to open a portal themselves they don't yeah. know anything at this point um but just the magic and how these things work is it's just really fascinating um and we've seen the level of it like we've seen like when sadie has used a spell she feels tired afterwards um but zia at this point she's used a lot of magic herself but she doesn't look tired um and that could tie into the fact that like she's used more magic so she's kind of sort of exercised her magical system yeah so she's not struggling as much with using magic more frequently because she's had the time to actually use it consistently that there's no real issue with her using magic again and again and again to an extent extent. practiced in it she's well trained yeah yeah yeah. i just i really really like that um alongside the fact that there seems to be two different sort of types of magic forms that are introduced ones that we talked about earlier in the case of like carter and sadie like there seems to be um a combat-based one, which is sort of like Carter's skill, and an mm. intellect-based one, which seems to be more sort of Sadie's side. And Emily, it's kind of basic on my part of the explanation of what they are. But that seems <laughs> to kind of very much be tied to these sort of things. Like Sadie is very much finding the intellect of understanding like hieroglyphics, like automatically with no training whatsoever, and um, having the ability to know how to use hieroglyphic-related magic, which I feel is tied intelligence based because you need to know these things to be able to use it yeah definitely um i just think it's just really interesting and the additional fact of like that we learned that based on your age your abilities are different like only really younger kids can use the scry whatever it is because um because they're younger their minds are more open to the possibilities of using the scry whereas the older you get the less able you are to use it Mm. um i know there's just so much fascinating stuff um with the way in which magic works in this and i like that we we're getting these explanations for how how this works as a whole um even if there are a few things that are being left out like what a scry is and what the mutt is yeah um i don't know what what do you think about it coming from like percy where nothing is explained (laughs) because Percy's asking these questions and they're just brushed over and he's like, okay, I guess I won't have an answer then. But then you get to this series and it's like, oh, we will go into it a little bit more, which is fun, I guess. Yeah, no, completely. And I just, I don't know. It's just, it's really refreshing as a whole to actually get this information, especially from something like, this is the only series really where explanations are given for how things work out of the whole (laughs) of Rick Riordan's work um and i don't know i just really appreciate it because it's something like obviously as someone who does writing like that i can appreciate to that next level of like seeing how these things work and understanding how they work as well um i know do you think it's possibly because of the circumstances that 
Cardi and Cardi, <laughs> Cardi B, um, that Carter and Sadie are like actually in at the moment in terms of like where their character arc is at and who they're with. <laughs> I'll just say that as like a non-spoiler, <laughs> you know, um, maybe it's like that kind of thing. They have that extra knowledge base because of what else is going on behind the scenes that we don't know yet. I would definitely say, yeah, that seems very, very plausible, which I think this adds to that additional bit of like there is definitely something that we know we don't know like the voice that's going on in Carter's head and stuff like that there's something extra going on behind the scenes um and the fact that that part isn't explained so far so we've got the mystery element of something additionally magical or frightening is occurring um of guys this isn't normal (laughs) yeah um which uh, especially considering you also get the reference with the the bar saying um, welcome, good king. Yeah. Um, sort of situation, we're kind of like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> as well as like Zia and Sadie being like, yeah, what? <laughs> no, 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 fear. Um, sort of situation. Um, there is something extra going on. So the fact that we're getting all this magic-based information, but there are things being left out at the same time for us to learn later. It's just, it's really good drip feeding information of learning more and more about what's going on. Um, and I just really like it. He's <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, satisfied by this friend. <laughs> I am. I keep being told by Robert, who obviously like, listens to the podcast and stuff, and they always tell me, just like, you know, I can hear the joy in your voice every time <laughs> you're reading these books. And I'm like, it's because I'm so happy. After I'm having so to happy. slog through the lost hero, like you have to be happy. Surely. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um but uh moving on to the final um part of uh the discussion for this, and it's about yeah. family. Um so in this case obviously specific to Carter and Sadie. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like what you think of their sort of like family relationship and the, the dynamic between them. I love their relationship so much because I have this exact relationship with all of my siblings. So (laughs) it's kind of like definitely their their little fourth wall breaks, their cut-ins when they're doing their recordings, like the stop it, get out of my way or stop hitting me. Of course that happened. Like I'm not lying, like that kind of stuff. Um, Just like teasing each other or, you know, that kind of, I'm very familiar with that sort of relationship. So it's, that's Mm. quite fun for me. I love that a lot. Um, Yeah, but also like the other feeling jealous of each other and like just the ways that they understand each other but don't understand each other because of their different cultural or not cultural but like their different upbringings and like Mm. you know it just I think that it's quite a genius way to approach this sibling relationship and I think that because they've been separated you get that chance to delve into each character as their own character rather than as a unit, which I think is really, really smart. Mm. I think it was a really good choice. No, I completely agree. Um, I just, I like that the whole thing is like, it's, it's having a sort of, in a sense, non pre-established connection between them. Like they, they have an established connection in the fact that they are siblings, but they know nothing about each other. Yeah. To the point that we can learn about each character individually both from their siblings perspective but also from their own perspective so we're gaining more information about them and figuring out who they are as people yeah in both senses of like how their sibling looks at them and thinks about them but also how they look and think about themselves um 
I think it's just a really interesting sort of dynamic. It's sort of um, obviously you can't really do it much. Like I'm just thinking of the comparison for like Sally and Percy. Like that's a very clear pre-established relationship. Yeah. That um, we we know that there is care between them because obviously mother-son sort of relationship, and we kind of get hints and are shown a little bit more about their relationship with each other. But there is definitely parts of it where I feel like it could have been written stronger for Percy and Sally because when Sally obviously is kidnapped in that case, while we feel the emotional weight of it, we've not had enough opportunity to see their bond as mum and child, except yeah. in like a chapter or two, that the emotional weight of what's happened hasn't fully reached its peak by the time that she's been kidnapped. That's so true. I think it kind of lets it down in that case, whereas here, especially when we lose Julius as well at the start, well, like they both lose their dad, like even though Sadie doesn't have that deep connection to her dad, she only gets to see him two, twice a year because yeah. the Fausts are racist. Um, the fact that even though it's those two times out of the year, she still has a deep connection to her father because, like, she still loves her dad. Like, he's her dad and all these sort of things. Yeah. And you can feel that sense of abandonment that follows because you know that they don't have a close relationship, but she wants one and she needed one. And so you feel Doesn't that way Doesn't have a resentment there. towards him the way that she does towards Carter for the same reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is really interesting that, like, she seemingly is taking out more of her frustration about their dad being gone at this point yeah. on Carter than what he really kind of deserves like he doesn't deserve to be resented and hated for the actions that firstly aren't even their dad's fault because again the fausts are racist so you yeah. know it's not <laughs> it's not carter and it's not julius's fault that they were separated um but again she is a child like it's a sort of instinctual reaction um yeah. but then the same goes from both sides like carter is just as resentful of sadie and how she had a childhood whereas mm. he's never had a childhood he's basically had to be a full-grown adult mm-hmm. since the age of eight yeah um and i think that's i think that's a really interesting thing that they delved into these chapters because not only is this the first time we're seeing carter's own resentment of sadie in more explicit detail but the way in which it dives into it of like the fact that sadie has had has had multiple goes at Carter for living a better life than she has. When he's not really had the same reaction to her, like he's not kind of gone at her for living a yeah. better life, except for that one moment in the previous chapters. Um, and that's the first time that where it's clearly like it's gotten to that point where it's like, no, I'm not taking any more of the shit because it's not my fault. And you, you had a life, you lived a life. Yeah. Uh, you had a family. I just had dad and, and Half even the then, time. not really. Yeah, and even then, not really. Like, like we see all those things in the past about the fact that his dad was never really fully there. Yeah, like, I wasn't the priority kind of mindset. Yeah, um, and like you were mentioning earlier, it's sort of the grass is greener situation is happening on both sides. Yeah. But um, I know it was just really interesting to see like the frustration of like the fact that Zia turned to Sadie and even Bast turned to Sadie as we see previously for her to do something but no one seems to expect anything of carter um and that was the thing that kind of pushed him to the edge of like being more reckless and kind of taking a risk because he's tired of being thought 
of basically being an afterthought, seemingly. Yes. Yeah. Um, which because he spent a lot of time like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Sadie has never been an afterthought. Like she's no, always he literally been... chose her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, and it's just it's really really interesting that we get this, and the fact that it is very much like Sadie has, in a sense, had everything given to her. Like she's mm-hmm. had a family, she's had stability, she's had friends, she's had a, a godly guardian, a godly guardian in the terms of Bass and all these sort of things, and Carter has had nothing. Yeah. Like, he's his whole life is in one suitcase. And like he says, he doesn't even have that suitcase anymore. Yeah. So he, everything that oh he God, is and was is gone. Yeah, it's awful. Like, this kid literally has nothing to his name right now. Nothing at all. Because especially if you just had a suitcase, you would be so attached to that and everything in that as well. Because that's like your whole identity. And as soon as it's gone, you'd be like, oh, I don't know who I am. Yeah. And even worse with the fact, like, what you mentioned earlier as well, like, his identity is something that he had to create because of what his dad told him. Of Like, he had to basically hold himself in a different way because people were going to perceive him in a certain way based on how he looked. Yeah. So, even worse with that, the backpack and all these sort of things are his identity, but it's not even his real identity. He doesn't know his identity because he's had to form a projection of one to be able to get by in life and that's that's just a really intense thing for like someone who is 14 years old to go through and feel and have to deal with at that age um so this is why i'm kind of more sympathetic to carter's plight than i am to sadie's <laughs> because i'm like this boy is You're been like, through he's a been lot through it okay he's been through it and sadie can get off her high fucking horse <laughs> And realise this boy literally has nothing to his name. He has nothing. Sadie, you have an entire house. Yeah, like, she's got somewhere to go back to at the end of the day. That's yeah. yeah. That is so true. He has somewhere to go. He's got nowhere to go. Oh my god, I've just realised he literally has nowhere to go. <laughs> oh my god. Except but in the other sense, that. he also has nothing to lose. So it's like no wonder that he's kind of idolising Zira a little bit, even as there. You know, even yeah, though he's yeah. just met her and like that kind of thing, he's more receptive to that lifestyle because he's always been very go with the flow and like, oh, well, this is what's happening now, so we have to go with that. Whereas Sadie's not had to live that life, so he's kind yeah. of not more on board with everything than she is. But I don't know. I think he's ready to accept that lifestyle more than she is because she still has her her house back home. <laughs> she still has her house. She still has her family. Like all yeah. these sort of things. Like the only family he knew is gone. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I t- actually that makes a lot of sense. It's similar to the, you know that whole thing of like when Amos arrives and like he says, "Oh, we should go," and Carter gets up immediately. Yes. Like, yeah. Because he's got nothing to lose now. Even if this person turns out to be dangerous, like what else? Like he's got nowhere else to go. The Fausts don't want him there. No. Yeah. They were never because they're, <laughs> they're racist. They're racist. They barely um, let him through the front door, like. Yeah. That was initially the opening thing that we hear them say is don't let him in yeah. about Carter. Terrible. Yeah. Um so I guess that ties into this thing here, like the fact that he was reckless as well, of like storming ahead across the plank immediately, of like being angry about the fact they were turning to Sadie and 
completely ignoring him and didn't seem to expect anything of him. Mm. Um, and also the fact like he's literally got nothing, in a sense, nothing better to do. Like this is all he's got, so he might as well just take a risk. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's such. It's kind yeah. of sad. <laughs> You are turning me into a Carter apologist, Brennan. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm here for. That is all I am meant to be doing, um, is getting everyone on Carter's side. Because... You're like, successfully converted. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. He is, yeah, now that I think about it, he is very, he is a cinnamon roll. Yeah. He's a cinnamon roll who looks like a cinnamon roll because he is a cinnamon roll. <laughs> Sadie looks like she can kill you and she probably will kill you. Yeah. Um, and Zadie, uh, not Zadie, <laughs> Zia. <laughs> Zia is someone who looks like they will kill you, will probably kill you, but is also a cinnamon roll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Um, <laughs> it's so good. Um, uh, do you have like any final thoughts for the, the family situation? I really don't think that I do. I just love them. <laughs> <laughs> we all do oh god the the best family relationship in my opinion i love sally i love percy i love sally more um but their family relationship pales in comparison to the canes if i'm honest yeah i think it's the only good family family representation we get to see at all in any of his series like we have jason and talia but they barely interact so like that's not a thing yeah and then we have, yeah. I mean, like, Percy and Estelle, but that's also not a thing. Percy and Tyson, maybe, but I don't know if that would really count. Yeah. Well, Percy's a dick to him to start with as well. Oh, so I just... Yeah. Yeah. It's only after... He dies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that he's like, maybe we should feel bad for the guy who died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop being mean to him. He's literally dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they got Annabeth coming from an abusive family. You got yeah. Clarice with an abusive dad. Yeah. Um, you just got Magnus with a dead mum. Um, oh, rough. And like, yeah, literally, all of it's terrible. Like, there are no good family relationships except for the Canes. The Canes are the only good family relationship. Underrated. Yeah, everyone. Please, I know you're listening to this. I'm assuming you've read them, but if you haven't, please go back and read them. Like, read them <laughs> as I'm reading along. Because they need more appreciation. Buy the books. Buy them for... It's coming up to Christmas. Buy them for someone's Christmas present. Yes. That'd be nice. Buy I the had a friend, set. one of my friends who does listen to um, my podcast, she was like, what are you reading next? Because I want to go and... Because she hasn't read any of them. She was like, I want to go buy them and I'll read them before you guys get into it. And I was like, oh, we're doing Take Crimes next. And she was like, oh my God, well, the books, the box set is at like this store and we're going to go buy them. It was like 20 bucks. And I was like, done. And so she started nice. reading the first one. I think. Oh. Um, yeah. I haven't asked her how she feels about it yet, but I assume <laughs> she loves it because how can you not? Exactly. They're great. Um, and going into that, just from our discussion from um, the siblings as well. So here is this week's question of the episode for everyone listening. And we'll be going up on our social media. The question of the episode is, how do you feel about the sibling dynamic of Carter and Sadie? So that'll be going up tomorrow um, across all socials. You can email me as well if you've got more deeper thoughts. Um, and yeah, um, this is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Great. God, I've just looked at how long we've been recording for. 
I know. Editing <laughs> you by yourself. Yeah, that's gonna yeah. be. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> Katie, thank you for joining, and let everyone know who. Well, let everyone who is listening know where they can find you and your podcast. Um, well, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want. It's um, Damn Snack Bar, I think, podcast. Oh, crap. I don't <laughs> even know the name. It's it's either Damn Snack Bar podcast or just the Damn Snack Bar. And then if you want to follow um, Instagram, Twitter, it's just at Damn Snack Bar pod. So we post a lot of memes about our episodes that often don't make sense unless you listen to the episodes, which is probably not the greatest marketing strategy, but that's also fine. All right. Awesome. And I've just double checked. So it's the damn snack bar, a Percy Jackson podcast. There you go. But if you just put in the damn snack, it comes up. Yeah. The logo is bright green. You can't miss it. Yeah. 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 Um, so that will be linked in the episode show notes for everyone listening. So go check that out um, and check out the social medias as well. Um, and yeah, Katie, thank you so much for coming to speak you with me. I know it's quite so late. welcome for all of my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. I've had a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, just to do my close off here. Um, go for it. Okay, <laughs> you can have your time on your podcast. I'll let you. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us for these chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as I continue the Ronverse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Stitcher, Deezer, and basically wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media, our Best Damn Camp pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com. And if you want early access for this show and all the other podcasts that I do you can check me out at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran which is linked in the episode show notes for early access and other exclusive perks want more Percy Jackson content and some Kane Chronicles content which will be coming soon check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of Fran or if you want to support my writing with my first novel dropping next summer you can follow me at a dose of Fran on Instagram Twitter and TikTok Again, thank you all for tuning in and for Katie for joining me. (laughs) (laughs) As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see, should I speak to you all next time? Bye. Bye!